This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. This is Juliana McIntosh. And I'm Brad Sutton. And, and this, this is, is The Art, Art of, of Drinking. Drinking. With Join Jules. And your favorite uncle. This is the best home bartending podcast. Where you learn how to make two drinks. A classic. And a twist. Plus a little backstory on the cocktail. So you have an interesting story to tell when you serve your guests. Your home crafted masterpiece. All right, Jules, yes. I get to start this episode out because you arranged this whole program here, this interview that we're going to do. And so I get to kind of sit back and listen to you. Of course, I'll add some commentary we here. We got to have the commentary. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, but I got to tell you, I'm kind of liking these interviews that we're doing and talking to some of the other people out in the industry, especially the well-known people like Chris Levitt. I met you earlier this year in Vegas, and I've been following you for a while now. I want to say at least two years, but definitely the last year, for sure. Time's weird online. I don't yeah. I don't know when it started, but once I connected with you, God, everything you're doing, everything you're making is so fantastic. I love that you are a bartender and a content creator because you have so much knowledge behind you. I think over 13 years, and I, I'm gonna let you tell everybody, but I just wanna <laughs> say how awesome it is to have you on. I'm so stoked to talk to you. We're gonna talk to you today about your experience, where you started, why you started, but also we're making the mojito. Chris is gonna walk us through how to make it. So Chris, thank you for coming on. Thank you for having me. Who are you? That's kind of funny. It's been evolving. Every minute, it feels like nowadays. But I started bartending back in Pennsylvania, back when I was 20 years old, so 13 years now in the restaurant and hospitality business. I did it throughout college and lit, like spent years doing it in Pennsylvania. I then okay. graduated college, got a job in pharmaceutical sales. They took me out to Las Vegas for a big product launch trip. So that kind of introduced me to a brand new scene. And at that point, like my exposure to high level bartending or cocktails was very minimal. I worked at a Mexican restaurant. So I was doing margaritas, mojitos for years. Like I was five years at the restaurant. I was very loyal. And I, they took me out to Vegas. It was an absolutely mind blowing experience at 23 years old. And I was, I thought to myself, if I wanted to come back to bartending full time, I'd want to do it here. And then that thought never left my mind. I did really well in sales, but I was just not in love with it. Pharmaceutical sales can be definitely a challenge when you're not so used to the corporate structure or just not a fan of walking to a building and nine out of 10 offices hate your guts because you're a 23 year old guy selling drugs. <laughs> So <laughs> I, uh, I really, you're in the wrong buildings, I guess. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I didn't sell exciting drugs if I had to be honest, but I finally just sort of, well, hold on. Now I gotta know what drugs did you sell? <laughs> I sold insulin. I sold insulin. So I talked, oh. I talked to doctors about diabetes, 
yeah. heart medications and, and comorbidities. So like nothing, sure. it wasn't, I wasn't selling, I wasn't selling Viagra. Nothing a yeah, documentary has no. been made about. Yeah. Okay. Right, right, right. No, there won't be anything. <laughs> I won't have any smear campaigns against me as far as I know. So then I put a full two years in sales just so I could have it on my resume in case anything sure. went to shit because I immediately quit my job, moved to Vegas on the whim. I knew maybe two or three people in Vegas in the entire city. Spent like three months unemployed, burned through all of my savings, almost moved back to Pennsylvania, giving it all up and like crawling back to my sales job. And then I got a bartending gig at Carson Kitchen downtown off like Fremont Street. And it's it saved my career. It was like the first celebrity chef restaurant off the strip. Carrie Simon mm-hmm. was the chef. He passed away four days before I moved there. So like the reason I, and I love that spot because when I visited there, it was the last restaurant I went to my first trip. And I was like, this is the spot I have to work out. I absolutely love it. And I applied working there five times. And on the fifth time oh on the God. email, I was like, please take an interview with me. They say the fifth time is the charm. Sometimes. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> sometimes the third, sometimes the fourth. Right. Never sometimes know. it takes the fifth time. Yeah. Yeah. That was one of my first lessons in, I don't know, perseverance, I would say where I was like on the edge of literally just giving up on whatever this was supposed to be. And I don't think they know or understand the lifeline they gave me in my career, taking that interview and hiring me and letting me grow in that space. Cause I was, yeah. even though I'd been in the business for at that point, like six years, I was green from a cocktail perspective. I didn't know anything. He was quizzing yeah. me on every basic classic cocktail, old fashioned Manhattan. And I had, blanked and I just looked no. at him and went, yeah he, we got to the third cocktail which I think he he asked me what was in a a corpse survivor number two and I'm just like uh, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna lie to you I am going to continue to fumble through this or I'm just gonna admit <laughs> to you that I do not know these things but I moved to Vegas three months ago in order to pursue this and I will promise you that I will be the best bartender you have in six wow. months from now and I think I blacked out like I remember leaving yeah. there <laughs> sweating my entire armpit was just drenched because like I, that's what that's my nervous tick is I sweat and I was thinking I'm never getting a call back but I'm glad I did it because I still had a, a like a serving job that I found that kept me around but yeah. I hated it they called me back literally after the new year and they're like hey would you like to come in for another interview same thing happened they called me back and hired me a few days later and and I never looked back and I've been in Vegas now wow, for man. a collective eight years now. When did you take the leap to do what you're doing on social media? So that's kind of funny. I've always been a fan of photography and videography. So like just on my personal channel, I would take pictures of my cocktails and and enter them into competitions. So more or less, I was creating content for myself and like entering drink competitions. But yeah, I secured the name for Not Just a Bartender back in 2016. And I did nothing with it. Wow, back in 2016. And I just love the name of it because back when I was just first started in Vegas, people were sitting at the bar. They thought I was great, charming, all these things. Knew that I quit my job in pharmaceutical sales to be there. And they're like, well, what's next then? Like, you're not just going to be a bartender, right? That phrase is said to just about every bartender on the planet. Yeah. This job is beneath you sort of thing. And I wanted to do it and express this channel in two ways. One, personally, like what my path has been like, how 
I think about making drinks, how it's not just a bartending gig for me. I care about hospitality. I care about the product that I serve. And I also am a deep person. Like I, I do other things outside of hospitality. I love to hike. I love to work out. I love to do cooking. I have all these activities that, I, that I'm deeply passionate about. And then the other side of it was the conversations content that I've been doing and things like this is to show that the, every bartender is the same thing. I never knew how to like tap into that. I was still formulating over all those years, how the hell do I break out and do it? And I think part of it was just like, I don't feel good enough. I don't think the things I'm producing are, are worthy. And then I did a breakout thing in TikTok where I was doing the reviews. I did a lot of oh, your that's cocktails. Right. That's when I think we were aware of each other at some point. And that's right. That really took off. Yeah, those, those were scary times, by the way. I just have to add that in because it's like, uh, what rating am I going to get? Oh, God, do I finish the whole thing? Am I embarrassed? <laughs> Hold on a second. Let's talk about that for a second. Sure. So, Chris, you followed Jules when she started. Yeah. And you were reviewing the cocktails she scary was making. Scary times. Yes. Wow. Scary. I would leave the review for the end and yeah. make commentary or criticize anything and like ingredient-wise, uh-huh. measurements, whatever. I'm projecting at this point because in all the years that I've been bartending and especially in the last five or six where I've designed menus and I've created cocktails myself, I'm only using that experience to then just look at what you're doing and thinking, is that going to be good enough or not? And that was kind of like the arbitrary point of the whole thing. It's like, it doesn't, my opinion really doesn't matter. Right. But people were addicted to that sort of thing and it blew me up and I decided to never let it go. I knew the algorithm respected consistency. So I decided I'm not going to stop. But then I got more or less bored of it after about a month and a half. And mm-hmm. then the the very similar theme of people in the comments, because when you when your stuff goes really viral, then people are really criticizing you. And they're like, who the hell is this guy to comment on them? And then that was the moment where I'm like, all right, I need to start making my own. And then that's when I fell in love with the process of using whatever small background I had and taking pictures of my drinks and knowing like lighting and angles were important. And then also seeing what you were putting out, what Justin was putting out, inspired by all these guys who were defining the category of cocktail creation. And then how do, how do I find myself in that? The process, I, I would think, I mean, I've been making cocktail content for just shy of a year now, like my own stuff, because I TikTok is now reminding really? me of like on this day. Yeah. Wow. It feels like you've been on for years. I honestly forgot that you were doing the reviews because that is 1,000% when we connected. Because I remember, because I was like, oh, this guy is a bartender and I'm not. And I don't know if this is going to get approved or not. (laughs) But that's so, I completely forgot because I really and truly, like all your content is so professional. I feel like I've been doing this for three years and I'm still trying to figure out, you know, ebbs and flows of what's working, what's not. But yours is just crushing. Your stuff's awesome. Thank you. Appreciate that. For this next section, we're going to talk about the mojito. And I would love to talk to you about which rums to use. I'd definitely like to know more about split base and just, sure. that might be a kind of a loaded question, a hard question to, to answer, but it's definitely a thing, right? And I split bases. I love an old fashioned with bourbon and rye. I love that you bring that up, actually. Really? Tell me why. <laughs> hey. <laughs> so my girlfriend, Athena, her uncle recently passed away last year, but when I was introducing him to cocktails, cause like he was the whiskey drinker and he was like trying to like dabble into old fashions and whatnot. And he loved Woodford. And I'm like, have you ever had rye before? 
And he goes, no, I've never even heard of that. Because he's not super experienced. He'd been a firefighter for 40 years. He was the guy who was always cooking for the, for the station. He loved to drink whiskey and drink beer. Those were his things. And then when he met me and he understood that I was like a quote unquote bartender and mixologist, he's like, well, then make me something. And I'm like, well, old fashioned is definitely like the first entry for me into cocktails when you're talking about whiskey, if you're a whiskey drinker. And I, and I wanted to talk to him about rye because it brings its own elements of spice and it's a lot drier. And he goes, I don't know. I don't know if I like it. It doesn't sound like what you're saying is something I'm into. And I'm like, all right, let's do a split base. And I made him his first split base old fashioned and I never made it another way for him again. So anytime anybody mentions that particularly, I think of him. And you guys said bourbon and rye? Bourbon and rye, yep. Okay, I'm in my rye era right now, so I'm- uh, <laughs> It's fall. I'm gonna have to try that. Yeah, 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 it's a good time for it. It's a great time for it. Oh, well, that's awesome. Okay, now I think it's time for a cocktail, for sure. I think, uh, we, sure. Should, I think we should talk about the mojito. You guys down? Let's do it. All right, now it's cocktail talk. And today, Chris, you picked, we definitely gave you three cocktails to choose from. Um, mm -hmm. And you chose the mojito. And you explained why you chose the mojito. But for everybody listening, will you fill them in on why you decided to go with the mojito? And then we'll get into how you made it. The big reason I love mojitos. And there's a moment for me that I'll, I'll get into. But for most bartenders, it's always the catch-22, like, we all love drinking mojitos and your guests, right. all guests love drinking mojitos, but most bartenders hate making them because it's, you got to find out where your mint is. You probably don't have it prepped. You're not ready for it. So if you're not set up for success with this cocktail, which yeah, there might be like one extra step. It's, it's a little bit more time intensive, but they get a big stick up their butt about making a mojito. And I find that now that I, I think about bar programs and I've, and I've had to make menus and I, I think about their setup and I care about how efficient they are and making their jobs right. a lot easier, their life a lot easier, their service a lot better. If a guest wants something, you got to find every way to provide it. And it's something as common as a mojito, like be ready. So I love wanting to talk about this because it's, it's such a divide. Like even when I posted my video recently, cause we decided on the mojito yes. and I was already, already had it on my docket <laughs> for that week to film one. And People in the comments, is, and even in my messages, like, fuck, man, I hate making a mojito. And yeah. I'm like, why? And I even, like, said it in my caption. I'm like, if you don't like making it, it's because you're not ready. So right. find a way to yeah. be ready for it, and you, you at least take away a lot of the headache. And then after a while, it's yeah. like, there's a ritual behind it. Like, when I first had it, and it was, like, light bulb went off, like, this is a mojito, was when I was in Rome, and I went to a hotel bar, and... I had been working at a Mexican restaurant up to that point, like four or five years. And we'd made it by putting simple syrup, muddled lime and mint, and then we shook right. it. And then we topped it with soda. It was messy looking. Everybody <laughs> loved it because it still tasted like a mojito, but it was just like, it wasn't what I then had in Rome, which was the sugar thrown in, a tablespoon of sugar or more with the lime. And then you make like a lime syrup, muddling it down then throwing in the mint, topping that off with crushed ice, with the rum, swizzling it so that you don't actually integrate all the sugar. It's it's still like little granulars are still in there. And then topping it again with crushed ice and club soda, 
And it was such a pretty drink. Everything was was at the bottom, creating flavor. Straw went through it. A big, big helping of mint on the top so that when your nose went in to have that sip, the mint was going already through your nose as you as you drink. And then it's like a double whammy. It was just uh, the light bulb went off and I was like, oh, done this way matters so much more uh, in terms of like experience with a drink. And I think it's one of those defining cocktails where like there may be all these different ways to get to the final result, but there is like arguably better ways. And this right. is for me, the the arguable way to go. Yeah. Well, it's funny. You and I had two different experiences in Italy because when I studied <laughs> abroad there, I went to a nightclub and ordered myself a mojito. These were in my younger days. Not a smart, just that sentence right there. Not smart. Nightclub, it probably was midnight. A lot of people at the bar ordering a mojito. It was the worst thing I've ever had in my life. And since then, I always stayed away from mojitos because my first sip, I mean, I don't know if they were eyeballing it, but it was just straight sugar granules in the straw. It just, it was so hard, so sweet. Like, I don't even think they probably used, I mean, I'm at a night, like, what was I thinking? It's honestly not their fault, it's mine. Uh, (laughs) But I stayed away from this cocktail for years just because that bad experience. And I'm sure that there are people out there who have had bad experiences with a mojito before. Now that I'm doing this now, I made it the right way, as Brad says. And I love that you said that there are multiple ways to do it. So I'm really interested to hear how you make yours. But I did. I had it again, and it's so delicious. It's so light. It's so refreshing. I also feel like with this one, you can play around with flavors once you kind of get it down, too, if you wanted. I added passion fruit in one recently. It's fantastic. So uh, if Mm. anyone out there had an experience like me, it's time to revisit the mojito because there are good experiences with it as well, which I am proud to say that I've had. So... (laughs) Chris, I want to hear how you make it, though. Can you walk us through step-by-step step so we can make it the right way and not have a sugar bomb of a cocktail? <laughs> sure. And I don't know if, if you guys were anticipating this or not, but I did. I have all the ingredients right in front of me. Bring it yeah. on. Yes, cool. yes. Yes. Absolutely. So are you building in the cocktail? I am. Yeah. So that's how I had it in Italy. And like that's that was the method that I've, heard, I've read in books, too, which is very much what they do in like Puerto Rico and Cuba. Mm -hmm. It's a drink that you could take your time to make. And this for me is like, if this is for my best friend, which everybody's gonna be my best friend at the bar, I'm gonna try and make it this way if I have all the things at my my fingertips. There's some like substitution. So like, instead of using the granulated sugar, simple syrup is always at hand. Hopefully it's cane and not just like white granulated sugar syrup. So yeah, usually I would get a lime. I'll take a whole one and cut it into little quarters so that there is some of the pith and I want that right in the glass. Yep. And then I'm gonna top that with sugar. I'm gonna do, for me, I don't don't like it like too sweet, but I feel like a tablespoon is perfect because I'm not gonna get all of that dissolved. And then here we'll muddle. See, this is what I think happened in Italy. I don't think they did this part. I think they just let the sugar stay at the bottom. Yeah. Which, yeah. you know, 
they were probably making like 500 other drinks at the time. So it makes sense. I mean, if you're going to get a nightclub, if that's like <laughs> super high volume, they're like, why can't you just order a vodka what soda? Like every other. Ordering. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, All right. God. Well, hold on. Before you get too much further, but let's just, the, the glass there too, you're using like a Collins glass, right? Or what are you using? Yeah, this is a Collins glass. This is, I think, a 14 ounce Collins glass. So that's, to me, that's Perfect. important. So it's larger yeah, in volume. Space. Right. Because most like rocks glasses are t- 10 to 12. A proper Collins from Mojito, especially, would be at least 14, mm-hmm. maybe a little bit more, maybe 16 if you're like, you want a lot of soda in it, but I don't prefer that. Or if you're adding more rum, mint, like a lot. Yeah. I usually yeah. do <laughs> 10 to 12 leaves, especially if they're a little bit on the smaller side. And then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to clap this now so it activates yes. the menthol and then let's yes. pack at the bottom. Rad's doing so, a happy dance over totally, here. Totally, I dig that because you want to know what? When people muddle that, I think it just, it turns it bitter. Yeah. Wouldn't you say, right? It does. In my mojito video that I posted right after we talked, I did muddling with the mint, but only because I packed it underneath the limes and there was slightly a protective barrier. There you go. And it didn't, and I wasn't, and like, again, muddling is pressing. It's not destroying, <laughs> right? Yeah. You're not, you're not trying to bury that, substance six feet underground right now. You're just trying to press it, get some of the oils from the skin to come out and the juice. And like right now, what I love is that there's still like a sloshy, sugary, granulated mess at the bottom. It's it's amazing. And then usually from here, I'd add the rum before I'd I'd toss in the ice. So I have Probitas. This is probably one of my favorite rums to reach Mm. for from Foursquare. And it's more or less their bartender price-friendly rum, even though- Majority of rums are viciously undervalued. Right. This is meant to be, you have stuff that are aged for like 12 plus years and they're $35 a bottle. Yeah. It doesn't make any sense. It's highly, highly undervalued. Yeah. I feel like I just realized that. That's crazy. Because tequilas are like insane. I guess it's the market too. But rums, underrated category. 1,000%. Yeah. When you talk about rum, though, like cane is super highly available. Most of the products are made with molasses, which is a byproduct of making granulated white sugar. So there's an abundance, for sure, of yeah. raw material to then ferment distill. What I love about this rum is that it's a blend. I love Jamaican rum for its funk. Yes. Mm. Gotta have good funk. Gotta have good funk. You gotta have yeah. that little bit of ester. And then it's blended with Barbados, which... For me, is always a nice, rounded, full-bodied, overall just solid rum choice for just about every rum cocktail. It's got like a light little tint to it, which is kind of nice. Mm-hmm. So I think it might hit a little bit of wood before they before they can't call it aged or whatever. So it's slightly mellowed, I guess. Mm-hmm. I don't have enough to give <laughs> myself for this particular cocktail. No. Yeah, I'm just shy. I'm just shy of an ounce and a half. So I'm gonna. <sighs> I want two ounces in the glass. So I'm going to add in. Oh, man. Appleton Estate's signature. I love Appleton Estate. I love anything Jamaican, particularly. So this is going to be almost three quarters of an ounce of Appleton Estate to finish it off. So it'll be a nice Jamaican. Traditionally, you would use just a white, two ounces of a white rum. Sure. Yeah. I mean, most famously, you're going to be using anything that's Puerto Rican or Cuban. Mm -hmm. Bacardi comes to mind as one of the bigger brands that are out there, but Havana Club yeah, 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 yeah. Excellent in a mojito. So from here, I would do about 
three quarters of a glass full with ice. So I'm gonna grab some ice real quick and then we'll top it off. So then from here, yeah, yeah. I will usually drive a spoon down because not every bar is going to have a swizzle stick, which like swizzles in their own category are like just hybrids of mojitos, in my opinion, where you don't have to necessarily muddle anything. It's more of like syrup, falernum, rum topped off with crushed ice, and then you just swizzle the mint to activate that menthol. But I like to kind of get that sugar and rum now to, to, to marry with each other. And it's very light, but I'm going to leave the, the spoon in there. And then I'm going to, again, return. I'm going to do club soda and then ice again and sort of marry everything, but not over agitate or dissipate the carbonation from club soda in this cocktail. So Carbonation is important. We talked about that with the highball. So for those of you who weren't, you know, can't see what he's doing, you know, definitely come visit the Instagram page where we'll have this video up. But he took his bar spoon and just kind of swizzled it between his hands. And so it like blended it a little bit yeah. at the bottom. Now, ideally I'd be using crushed ice. I just don't have a machine on my refrigerator that does that for me. Well, you can go to Sonic, right? And get bags of ice. Can you now. believe yeah, that? Right. I know. So I, I, know. Actually, I, I did that for my videos and I absolutely loved it. Isn't that sick? Really? You can just God, literally. Dude, I need a Sonic by me. Like seriously. Really? Um, yeah, it's sort of pounding stuff out with the Lewis bag. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't even know if I, I think I have a Lewis bag somewhere. I need to pull that out because I haven't seen <laughs> it in a while. tastes like dust? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> God, that looks so fantastic. Yeah. Oh my God, that looks amazing. <sighs> so you're done mixing, right? Done mixing. So the, the mint is at the bottom. You've got that limey rum sweet goodness yeah. all through the top with the ice and then and i'm seeing it comes the bouquet coup de form yeah uh, minimum i like to try and grab at least like three of the like tops oh, yeah. of mint and then give it a little bit of a twist around the stem so they can kind of come together like a flower mm -hmm. bouquet this is always an extra step but it's nice to like hit the glass with the mint mm -hmm. so that it expresses some of the menthol right on the top of the glass and then finding a little nook toward the edge and just sort of propping it up so that it's super vibrant. It looks alive, in my opinion. Beautiful big garnish of mint on top you of the drink. You gotta have yeah. it. You gotta have it. I had a, I think I saw a comment where somebody put like one little leaf in there and someone <laughs> roasted them. And so I was like, oh my God, I can never do that. So from here on out, it's always bouquets of mint. And honestly, if you want to upgrade your home bartending, garnish with bouquets of your, your fresh herbs because it totally makes a difference. I think people forget it's like food, right? Your eyes see it first. So you want it to yeah, look Yeah, you eat with your eyes. Yeah. In this case, you drink with your eyes. Yeah. No, bouquets all the way. But Chris, you got to give us a taste. Yeah, taste. Tell us tell us what you're tasting here. It's good. So it's rum, It's like rum forward, <laughs> but it's it's really balanced. I don't have a straw right now where I'd, like, I'd dive it in there. But I think... Yeah. Some people, when they make mojitos, they don't do the step of stirring just slightly to get the soda incorporated. So, quarter up your lime, throw it in the glass, tablespoon of sugar, muddle that, 12 leaves of mint in your hand, you smack it or rub it around a little bit, throw that on the limes, and then... Your rum. Rum, right? You add your rum, rum. give it a stir, or no, no you, you add, add ice, ice, and then... Yep. Yeah, add your ice, and then give it a stir, and then... 
Club Top soda, more soda ice, water. and then garnish. A little more ice, one more stir, and then your big garnish. Brad, we were yes. asked a couple episodes past now, you know, what are some cocktails you should have at the ready as a home bartender? What ingredients? This is one of them. I mean, this comes together so quick. And I love this built in the glass. Yeah. yeah. Like this is a low mess. Yeah, totally. And it's fun to make. This is actually, uh, believe it or not, this is the cocktail that I think this might have been the first cocktail air quotes that I made for no myself way. and other people. Oh yeah, for sure. Wow. Back when I lived in California, I fell in love with the mojito. It must've been around 2001-ish time frame. Okay. And yeah, and that was like, I was really into like Tommy Bahama and that all stuff. So I was like, oh my God, <laughs> I love this lifestyle. Sure, right? sure. Yeah. And I love rum. Yeah. Dude, it's such a great refreshing drink. If you've not had a mojito, like you need to stop, drop and yeah. go get a mojito. Yeah, and we're going to share how Chris made it too, but also go look at your video on how you made it. We'll we'll share that on our on our profile as well, but I mean, the way you put it together is just so easy. You would be silly not to make this cocktail at home. And I mean, all you really I guess the hardest ingredient is mint. Which is funny cuz I I bought this mint from a grocery store and like they come in those $5 yeah. packs of mint, which sometimes the quality of those could be like atrocious. Oh yeah, I'm always looking at the front and back, right? Like I look Scary. behind, so I flip the package over, I look yeah. at it to like see if there's any black leaves in there. Yeah. That happens. Yep. It is one of those plants though, it's like a weed, it can grow anywhere in like pretty much any condition. Like I know people in Vegas that grow mint and I'm like, how does anything survive? Mint does just fine apparently. But if there's any, if you live by any Mexican specific grocery stores, locally here we have La Bonita, and they sell mint that's literally just piled up on each other. And I could get a whole grocery bag filled with mint for five bucks. And I'm like, I could supply restaurants. I could just take that's that, insane. get a pound bag, sell it for six bucks and make a dollar every time. <laughs> totally. I, yeah, I go to the Mexican grocery stores. I go to Asian grocery stores all the time because the produce there yeah. is so much cheaper than the regular grocery store. It's true. There's way more variety too. Yeah, and way more variety, right. And so- there's a, there's a hot tip. Get the good ones. Yeah. Well, Chris, you have your cocktail. I think it's time to start chitty-chatting a little bit more about you and sure. what you're doing, where you're going, all of it. So are you ready to talk about yourself? I would love more? to talk about myself, sure. <laughs> okay, perfect. Awesome. All right, cool. All right. We have our cocktail. We've talked about the mojito. Chris, we talked about kind of how you started and, and how you got to Vegas. But I'd love to talk to you now a little bit more about your journey. You took content creating and you said, I'm going to do this full time, which is amazing. But yeah. then you're like, whoa, 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 wait, actually, hold on. I want to split my time now and, and still get behind the bar. So can you talk to me a little bit about kind of that process and why you wanted to take the leap to do content creation full time? And then what brought you back to wanting sure. to still be behind the bar? When I first started doing the reviews and like making content that was my own, I was already transitioning from being a bartender back into more of a, a director management type role with a really cool small restaurant group here in Vegas. They have an amazing chef from Spain. We had discussed with them that they were opening up even another project by the end of that year following that when that was open, I'd have a role that would be much bigger in scope. And that was more or less like my dream when I was on that path to build myself into a restaurant group that was doing really cool things, get in early 
and then help leverage my knowledge in cocktails and bars and operations on that side to hopefully become partner and grow really cool programs all over Vegas and maybe potentially other parts of this of this country. With everything and the, the ambiguity of coming out of COVID and the interest rates in financing going up, the projects that we thought we were going to go to do more or less fell through from a developer side, from an investment side, and it just didn't make sense on paper to try and attack these different projects. And so I was kind of in a standstill where I was doing amazing work with this restaurant group, but I was driving a lot of my time and attention toward that. It was like 50 to 60 hours a week. Restaurant life is rough, especially from a management side. And I cared a lot about my program. I cared a lot about my menu and and making a name for it. But then on the side, with all the spare time that I had working 60 hours a week, I was doing the content. Those opportunities got more and more exciting and enticing. And then I I had a few brand deals come my way and it started to paint a different picture of like what's possible. And it happened super fast. The other things were happening super slow. And I looked at my opportunity costs, like, am I going to regret not pursuing doing content full-time or holding out for something that's a maybe right now over here? And I was like, I got to shoot for myself. I got to trust my gut. And I trusted my gut when I moved to Vegas. I trusted my gut to take certain jobs that I had to get to the point in the career that I have now. And I decided content has got to be the game. And the more time I'm able to pay attention to it and, and grow it, I'm going to get better at it. I'm going to have more Mm -hmm. opportunities. And so like what I've done in the last four months with my videos, I feel like I've dramatically improved and I obsess about the quality and what the vision is for this whole channel. And then in the process of that, when you're just speaking to a phone and like you're you're engaging with your audience, but usually through messaging or comments I didn't have them visiting me at work anymore because I wasn't at a job that they can come see me. Right. I miss this element of taking care of people and like Mm. engaging. And that's what really drove me to want to spend my career in hospitality in the first place is because like we get to spend time with people that are hopefully in in a moment of relaxation about enjoying themselves, having good food, good drink, great atmosphere. And the bar is usually way more casual than the dining floor. So you're having taboo conversations you're having, you're seeing the wildest things happen at your bar. And I missed all of it. And I hadn't been behind a bar working a shift for a little over a year. So about two months ago, I decided to have dinner at at a restaurant called Vetri at the Palms. And it's like at the 56th floor. It's a 50 seat restaurant, super small, but amazing view. The bar is 10 seats And it has the view of the mountains in the north, sunsets every day. And I've never worked in a place where I have a view of the sunset. And I thought to myself, man, if they would let me work two or three days a week, I'd love to do it here. And I let that thought kind of like sit in the background for a minute. And then I went to Tales of the Cocktail. Had a great time like jumping around bars, meeting bartenders from all over the world and seeing pop-ups, just enjoying a lot of the bar culture all over again. Because even though I was doing content full-time, I wasn't going out a lot. I was just staying at home, editing, sort of just working. Right. And I was just given an overload of what that culture was. And I'm like, okay, 
for sure now. I miss this. I need it. And I was hungover at my layover in Austin <laughs> and I had two hours to kill and I'm, I'm sitting there drinking a beer and having a burger and I'm like, let me just go on Indeed and just see if what's going on in town. And like the 12th result down, posted two days before that, Vetri was hiring for a bartender. And because of my connections in town, I reached out to my Campari yeah. rep because it's an Italian restaurant. I'm like, my Campari rep is going to know the operations team over there. I'm like, get me a phone number, get me an interview. Yeah. I didn't even have to bring a resume. I didn't have to do anything. Like they already called around town. They asked about me. They, I knew a lot of the operations team anyway. And they were like, listen, we were just looking for somebody who wants a few days a week because that's all we can offer because we have a full-time guy. It's a small bar, so they don't have like multiple shifts available. It's just the weekend, really. And we've hired some people that are really great with cocktails, but they overtake and overstep and want to take over the program and they don't do a really good job because they don't have the accountability. And I'm like, listen, I don't want the responsibility. I just want to show up, take care of your people, make every experience that people have in front of me the best that I can make it, and just enjoy working behind a bar. And they're like, sold. Welcome aboard. All kinds of questions have been popping up into my head. So for starters, I love the fact that you're like, I am hanging up my pen and laptop for from the office and moving into bartending. And that's mm-hmm. what I want to do full time. And then I love the story about how you transitioned into actually being a bartender and how you're just like, just give me a shot. Yeah, right. Yeah. And it seems like everybody, including myself, who has ever gotten a job bartending has involved some type of selling <laughs> or, or in some cases just flat out lying, which I did both yeah. <laughs> to get my first job bartending. So tell me like, If I'm somebody who wants to be a bartender, how do you get a shot as a bartender? Oh, good question, From your point of view. So like my experience with that one interview, like where they grilled me on classic cocktails and I had no idea what to say, other than just trying to prove them to like, I was, this is the space I wanted to be in. I know I'll be your best bartender in six months. You just have to trust me. That was, that's a Kobe half court shot (laughs) at at the buzzer. (laughs) And I don't recommend that. It can happen. And it's, I think I've been in positions where I've had to hire people and you can just feel the energy from someone that they really want to be somewhere and they are going Mm -hmm. to give you more than maybe somebody who's more prepared or more experienced. And I think that's invaluable in terms of finding somebody to work with you because you can hire anybody who's super experienced on paper and they might have a good rap around town, but then you start to work with them and they're actually a nightmare because yeah. they don't want to listen to what you do. They want to do it their way. There's a catch-22 this, in this business in, in many facets. But I would say if, you're, if you're, you've never been in the business and you want to break out, the first job that's the most important, in my opinion, is being a barback. And that's where I really got my start. It was I, I barbacked for shy of a year before I was able to take shifts on my own. All I did was focus on how to be the best barback, be supportive, wash and polish, stock, get things prepped, get the garnish ready. And then any free moment that I had that I wasn't doing supportive work, I had my eye on my bartender, like the FBI. Like I wanted to learn <laughs> everything Every about what he was doing. Yeah watching how they were being efficient, how they were building cocktails, what the recipes were. And before he was like, I never even got paperwork. I just knew that our menu was this 
and this is how he executed each drink. I didn't know portions. I knew count. I started counting in my head. And so everything was free pour in that restaurant because it was high volume in a small bar. So my free pour game is amazing. Although I, I rarely free pour anything except like vodka sodas or things that are like one in one super easy. Because when I moved to Vegas, I understood the importance of measuring and the people that I worked for demanded it because of cost and efficiency and, and consistency. And I, I would, I'd be 100% lying if I said all of my drinks were consistent all the six years prior to that. Becoming a barback would be my number one tell for everybody. So everybody that messages me, asks me, like, how do I get into this? Find a bar that you really want to work at or several that you, like, you admire and that you think are great learning environments and beg to be a barback. Tell them I'll show up every day early. I will go above and beyond to be the best barback you've ever had and mean it. I think one of my, I know I've been cursing here and there, but one of my biggest sayings to people is just give a fuck. And that's the only thing that matters. You've got to put your whole heart and soul into it. Otherwise, you're going to be the person that everybody hates to work with. You're not going to be reliable. You're not going to enjoy your job if you don't care. And you're not going to have the opportunities to grow. You're just not going to see them. Everybody who works with anybody who cares, I want to I wanna move that person up as fast as possible. Well, I have a question. You've been doing this for 13 years. I'd love to know your process of creating cocktails because you help design menus, but you're also making originals on your page. So how do you go about creating these drinks? I would say like my first process into it was actually getting into competitions. Ooh, tell us more. Yeah. Cocktail competitions, especially in larger markets, are pretty common because the brands want to spend money on local bartenders to get them to try their product and then incentivize them to compete. So there's trips, there's money involved, there's different scales of it. Like there's a bunch of local stuff that was always in Vegas that was just sort of like fight club for bartending here, which is honestly, we need to bring back. It's been years since it's been very active. But it was like once a month, we'd just show up to a random venue, random brand would give us some samples to play with, and we would just sling it. And it was amazing. But learning through that process, you have to sort of understand the brand and sort of understand what the product is and intelligently use it to elevate it, to give it a better voice than just on its own. And when I had that process, you start looking at, okay, well, what works? And for me, you got to look at the foundational classic cocktails and then okay, well, if this cocktail calls for vermouth, but I don't want to use vermouth, what is similar that will fill the hole or fill the gap that's very similar to this? Is it sherry? Is it port? Is it Amaro? And then you you start to... I I think the first layer is called... I call it like Mr. Potato Head. I'm thinking borrowing that from Death & Co. Where you see all the components of a drink and you just slot one out, put something new in and see how it works. Yeah. Right. You take you take a daiquiri format, a sidecar format, and you just start playing with all the components. And then from there, it's just like micro adjustments. You start playing with split basing. You start playing with different acid types or infusions that are more difficult, fat washing, all of that. So you start playing around with different advanced techniques with the same concept of slotting things in that are different. And then mm-hmm. you start creating truly original, more complex cocktail versions. And I think now what's the most pinnacle that I've seen are places like Double Chicken Please out of New York City. It just won the number one cocktail bar in the world. 
and they do a tasting menu format of their cocktails. So it's lower ABV, That's but awesome. they do they do drinks that are called cold pizza and sesame noodle, and they're based off food that resonated with his childhood or with their city like New York. Then it's like, it's not even thinking about classics that make this these cocktails work. It's like understanding from a culinary perspective, how do you find this flavor? Mm-hmm. How do you start adapting these advanced techniques that you have and truly creating something that's never been done? And that's like so many years of layers that you've got to build with starting with classics first and then playing and playing and playing. Totally. Yeah. Receiving feedback if it's good or if executing a milk punch for your first time. Like there's all these things that need to happen first. Top tier level is truly doing something no one's ever done. And like, that's why they win top 50 bar awards. They do things that are unthinkable for someone who's just getting started. But the the people that have had layers, like when I go, when I see menus from the top 50, I'm reading them. I'm like, there's so much intelligence is how I put it. Like there's intelligent uses of ingredient that I, even think about using together. But because I know all those indiv- individual components, I'm like, it works. And I would just never have thought to do it, but they did. And that's why they're amazing. Would you agree that bartending is a career choice for people? 100%. Like you, can, you can make great dough being a bartender. You can. I think it's, uh, one, it provides a living for sure. And in the right environments can consistently provide you that. Fine dining has always been a, an area where all service standards are super high. Price points are a lot higher. And that just collectively means that you'll make a much better living that way. But if you're hired to work there, very likely they hired you because you're an amazing person in hospitality. And if you care that much to get that elevated in your game, you already love this job, hopefully, more than the average person does. And you're not just doing it to pay for college or whatever. You can absolutely do this your entire life. The longevity part of it is always questionable from like staying healthy, not abusing the lifestyle that comes with being in hospitality, which there's a lot of drinking involved. There's dark sides of it that people are coping because our life is not easy. Going through like a very standard education, high school, college, and then getting into pharmaceutical sales. I had friends who were going to always be in nine to five and I had to selectively choose to go into a space where I am now working five till midnight. And it's a completely opposite life for them. I can't spend the same free time as they do. They would always invite me to events. My family would always invite me to events. And I've missed 90% of like really important moments for a lot of my friends and, and family to be there for other guests, to make money, to make a living. Unless you absolutely love it, you shouldn't be in it. Mm -hmm. But if you do love it, you can make a living, you can support yourself, you will build a family, you will build friends within your industry. There's a saying that we always say in this uh, community is that we wish that everybody would spend at least six months working as someone in hospitality, understand our perspective. And it's not even just from the service side. It's understanding that the community that you build within the restaurant that the friends that you make, the family that you make is is so rich and it's so un- unexplainable to most other people because I'm assuming most nine to five people that run normal office jobs don't have the same banter. They don't have the same level of commitment to each other because 
restaurants and bars are high pressure, high volume, high, high stress environments. And you've got to keep your shit together through some tough moments. And there's like, yeah. In, yeah. like in the weeds is a, is a real thing. So being able to put up with that four or five days a week, nights mm-hmm. away from yeah. family, and then decompressing from that every single night, whether that means to grab a cocktail with colleagues or just come home and just sit in the quiet for an hour <laughs> before you can fall asleep. It's all real consequences or side effects of, of this business. And is there a way to make this a life? Absolutely. But there's stipulations. There are things that you have to understand are part of the commitment. And I love every piece of this life, but there are things that I've missed because of it, for sure. It teaches you how to deal with people. But the people like you that I've met, it has just been nothing but a fantastic time. And even like, if I go to a bar, I'm sitting at the bar if there's seats open. Like, I want to talk to the bartender, see what's going on. How's your day? Yeah, it's way more fun. So I think it's awesome that you're doing both too. It's a good moment. I could probably move into tips uh, because that's my tip for whenever I go to a restaurant. I'm like, I'm going to go sit at the bar. One, so much more fun to like have a show going on while you're eating and talking. Two, your server is right there. Yeah. So like, you know, if you need to get their attention, as long as you do it in a respectful way, everything you need is right there. Yeah, you're not worried about them disappearing on a smoke break because they can't. Right. (laughs) Or somebody's going to cover for them. They do, right? But uh, yeah, no bartending is like, that's just... That's the pinnacle of of the restaurant business, in my opinion. Like I I served, Agreed. I bartended, I loved bartending. The money was great and the interactions with people was even better. So we've talked about a career in bartending. Jules, do you have another question? No, I was gonna, I was gonna kind of segue where you are. I'm like, okay, we talked about bartending, but I we gotta get into the tips where it's about home bartenders. This is where I feel like I can really resonate in this next section uh, <laughs> of tips, tips for the home bartender. So Let's talk about tips for the home bartender. I love this section when we bring on guests to talk about their favorite tips and tricks for the at-home bartender. I mean, you have 13 plus years of experience. So do you have any knowledge you could drop for us home bartenders who are just starting out or maybe in the middle phase of really learning, but anything you've learned, tricks of the trade, if you will, for home bartenders. All right, so my number one tip, as with anything, like if you're if you're, if you're getting into cocktails and you're doing it because you like hosting people, having people over and enjoying them with them, is to have as much variety in your bar as possible. Every bartender or every bar drinker's needs. Well, Luna agrees for starters. So like just at a bar, when you have an entire back bar to offer guests, the same idea is I think applicable to at home where you may be a fan of whiskey, but maybe your friends or family are are more partial to tequila, to gin. So variety is nice. Having a few cocktail books that you really like right next to the bar so that you can kind of experiment and like dive into hey, you drink tequila. Well, I have this book. I don't really drink it, but let's look into some recipes that you might like. And hopefully we have all the ingredients handy. I don't mean to cut you off, but you said books. Are there any specific books you recommend people to have? It really depends on what your mission is with the book. If like an up-and-coming bartender wanted to get some recommendations from me, I would say Jeffrey Morgenthaler's The Bar Book 
is like one of the best that I've had that was like one of the first that I ever picked up to start reading into. And that was learning about every tool, easy technique work, and just a, a plethora of classic cocktails and some of his famous specs on, on classics that he reworked. He's infamous for respecting the Amaretto Sour, which has a split base with rye. And it's almost like a whiskey sour meets amaretto sour. So it's mm. not as sweet. It is way more balanced. He was one of the first to ever barrel age in a Groni and understanding the impact of wood on Campari and understanding how it softens it, doesn't make it as bitter. So that's a great book. The bar book is amazing. But like basics and techniques and understanding of foundation. The next one I would recommend would be Cocktail Codex from Death & Co., it breaks down everything into seven families of cocktails, just like seven mother sauces that chefs learn. There should be families that everyone's brain should think in terms of cocktails. So like the sidecar has all these different variations or everything that the sidecar exists in is this way. And it breaks all of those down really well or a martini, old fashioned, every branch of that. So like that's a great resource. And then the third one that I always recommend for like advanced stuff is Liquid Intelligence from Dave Arnold. Mm. That one is covers stuff like clarification, forced carbonation, rapid infusion, so many different things that you can put in your toolkit when you start expanding. Mm -hmm. What are the, like some of the stuff that I show in my videos, I've learned from that book. So that's a really great resource to like dive a little deeper, a little bit more nerdier, scientifically driven. I love it. But for the home bartender, Jim Meehan's Bartender Manual is great. Super, it's from PDT in New York. Yes. It's an amazing book to have. It's really pretty too. Very, it's beautiful. Actually, I'm, yeah. I'm looking at it right now. Sasha Petrosky's Regarding Cocktails. I don't think I have that one. This was from Milk and Honey, which is like a legendary bar. It's where Sam Ross oh, yeah. worked at okay. and invented many cocktails thereafter, after he left there. Created Attaboy. But this is... Really, if you read this book, it's just really intelligent first iterations beyond just classics and very simple cocktails, stuff that's like super, like no really crazy ingredients, but they're all delicious. Yeah, this is a great book. And then if you want to get into a little bit more advanced and like you've got a really big back bar, the Nomad cocktail book is insane. I love this book from Leo. Yeah. Things are no less than six ingredients in that book, but they're all fantastic. That's one bartender. I can't remember where I was here in San Diego, but I asked him because I was I was going to be bartending at some point and then COVID happened and we all know the story. But the one advice I got from a bartender that really stuck with me is if you want to learn, go out and take the, because I wanted to do one of those classes. Mm -hmm. um, and he was like, save your money spend it on booze and books and teach yourself. And that, I've just, I've carried that with me the whole way. Yeah, I, I am a fan of taking those bartending classes just so you get some practice and technique and coaching. Sure. Yeah. But booze and books, booze for and sure, bugs. Is, uh, that's the way to go. And that's literally how I started. Yeah. Booze, books, and took a few of those cocktail classes at Schwanky Bars. So yeah. when You mentioned, hey, you mentioned the classes. I think if you have like a really deep one where you can like learn a lot of different physical techniques, shaking, jiggering, stirring, straining, all of those like quirky things that we don't think about that are, that take practice and you need to like learn the mechanics of. Those I feel like if you spent one or two days really deep diving, you can then get better at on your own. But reading 
is a shortcut to everything, right? These guys have had years of experience and they're, they're going to bottle it up into 200 to 300 pages for you. It's magic in pages. Any other tips, tricks? I feel like we really covered a lot in a short amount of time for this podcast. I mean, tips-wise, if you're having people over, pre-squeezing juice ahead of time, getting small vessels for yourself that are like bottles that you can put pour spouts on to have lime juice ready, lemon juice, simple syrup, making a small menu too. If like you want to go that far to like host people, Mm-hmm. A cocktail menu of like three things that you great think idea. are going to be really great variety for people that are showing up and having a lot of fun with them being like, hey, this is my version of a French 75, an old fashioned and a whiskey sour, something yeah. for everybody sort of menu smart, so that you have things that you can prep for and then get quantities of that you're not fumbling for that you have right at your fingertips, build yourself a little station. Usually when I'd I've hosted parties at people's houses. I set up a station right by a, keep yourself right by a sink so that you can clean your tools, keep things ready to go. Find a place that you can clean and, but you are engaging with the crowd so that you can have a good time. Cause that's just as important as providing product is ensuring that you have a good time doing so. And that's how I think about bars in general, but like doing that at home, set yourself up for success get your garnish ready, get your juices ready, your syrup, your spirits, build yourself a little menu and you're going to have a great time. So I love it. There you go. Chris, where can people find you? Where can people visit you? Do you have a website? Will you give everybody your handles so they can, they can follow you? So my handle is at not just the bartender on both Instagram and TikTok. I got a notjustthebartender.com domain, but I haven't built it yet. So there's nothing there. Coming soon, coming (laughs) soon. Coming soon. Permanently tentative at this moment. (laughs) But if you'd like to ever hang out with me in person, I do work part-time at Vetri at the Palms in in Las Vegas, just on the weekends at the moment. But I do pick up shifts here and there. Feel free to DM me and ask me if I'm working. A lot of people do that. And I have arranged that kind of thing before. And then I do teach classes here and there. I'm trying to figure out a more permanent situation for doing like consumer focused cocktail classes, but I'd Mm -hmm. love to like be broader and like do both, like do bartender focus where like people who are local here can come in and get educated versus where it's a little bit more broad where I'm having fun, like making old fashions, whiskey sours with people that have, that are just doing it at home, but they decided to come to this venue and learn sort of thing. So that's kind of random, but I'm, I'm trying to find a way to nail that down a little bit more consistently at some point. Yeah, and you'll share it on your Instagram, social medias too, and websites soon to come. So awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on. This was so fun. And we'll come to you next time. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> I want to do a video right in here with you guys. Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> That'd yeah. be awesome. Yeah. Sweet. Well, thank you, Chris. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. As always, cheers. 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 Uncle Brad. Cheers, Jules. And thank you, everyone, for listening to the show. Don't worry. We will have the photos and recipes for today's cocktails on the website, joinjules.com. And if you got questions or comments for us, hit us up on the Insta at The Art of Drinking Podcast. And of course, find Jules at joinjules or at 
favorite Uncle Brad. That's me, also on the Insta. And hey, subscribe to my cocktail club on Facebook. All you'll need to do is search Join Jules Cocktail Club, and there you'll see what other cocktail enthusiasts are shaking up. This is a Red Rock Music Podcast. Don't forget, subscribe, like, and review The Art of Drinking with Join Jules and your favorite uncle wherever you get your podcasts.